How are we doing? That was actually pretty good for the first time. So I'm like not going to make you do that weird second thing where it's like, can you do some more? I won't make you do that. Um, but yeah, this is the second to last somersault, which means we've got two more verses to untwist. And actually kind of by coincidence in planning this summer, the Twisted Scripture series last week really builds off of, um, or this week really builds off of last week. And so um, if you weren't here last week, let me just recap that a little bit for you. Jordan was teaching us from Philippians 4.13, right? That verse that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he taught us that Paul actually wasn't saying that he can like be the best NBA player through Christ who strengthens him. He was actually saying that he could be content in any circumstance through Christ who strengthens him. And so um, we, we learned about contentment, right? We were challenged to be um, content people. And so... That was a week ago. How's that going for you guys? Like a week removed from that date. How, how's contentment going? How content are you with the things going on in this world right now? How content are you living in the midst of a global pandemic? How content are you with the, the uncertainty of your future? The possibility of, of you actually getting that job that you're going into student loan debt for? How content are you even just kind of with the uncertainty that's ahead of us this school year? Maybe not knowing if you're going to be able to stay on campus the whole year or if you're going to be able to go to class and hang out with your friends the way you want to. But let, me, let me take it to another level. How content are you with what's in your bank account or the, the car you have or the clothes on your back the place that you live, how content are you with your material possessions? Do you want another zero in your bank account by the time you're 30? Or maybe like two or three? Do you want to actually be able to like retire early? Do you want to be able to make that big paycheck soon after college? Do you have your sight, you have your sight set on that? Because if, if you want any of those things, you're not actually content right now, are you? Like your mind is fixed on that day when you're like, yeah, I'm going to get that paycheck. I'm going to actually get to do the things I want to do. I'm going to get to buy the things I want to buy. You're saying my life on that day is going to be better than it is right now. So maybe contentment is a challenge. Maybe you can kind of piece this together already. Tonight we're talking about money. We're talking about kind of the, the verse that's maybe most famous that's kind of also not quoted the best or not said the best when people kind of talk about the Bible and money. Maybe you've heard someone say, doesn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? And it's not even so much that they have twisted that verse like they've taught it wrong. It's actually that they left out a significant word in that sentence, and that word is love. It actually, we're going to see tonight in 1 Timothy 6, it says the love of money is the root of evil. So it's not money itself that's just straight up evil. It's the love of money that actually can be a root of all kinds of evils. So if you have a Bible or you've got an app, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 6 through 10. And so, okay, track with me one more second here before we go to the text. If contentment is kind of opposite to um, wanting more and to kind of 
being fixed on this day when you're going to be able to get more. Why is, why is that so important? Like, why is, why is pursuing contentment, why is kind of actually working to be a more content person worthwhile? Like, what actually makes being content something you would want? What, what would be good about that? We're going to answer that tonight in 1 Timothy 6. Just before this, Paul is actually telling Timothy about false teachers who are teaching that godliness, or really the appearance of being godly, is great game. He's saying those people are false teachers. They're teaching that godliness is a means to financial gain. And he's saying that's wrong. That's false. That's immediately before where we're going to start in verse 6. So follow along with me. I'm going to read for us our full passage. Verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All right. That's pretty heavy, right? And again, it's not that money itself is inherently evil, but the love of money, there's great danger in that. And check this out, right? Verse 6, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So these false teachers really aren't that far off. They're just missing something extremely crucial. And Paul isn't talking about financial wealth. He's not talking about the accumulation of wealth here. He's talking about something completely different than earthly riches. So they kind of are far off, maybe. It, it kind of just comes down to what we're talking about, right? Like, is it gain in this life or is it gain in the next? And so notice also in this warning, right, Paul is not just kind of going right at people who are wealthy. He's actually kind of warning everyone in this. He's saying, if you're rich and you're still wanting more, be warned. And if you're poor and you have nothing and you actually want something someday, you want to be rich someday, you also need this warning. And so I have four points for us tonight from this text. But before we get into those, none of us, because of, because of the fact that Paul isn't just going after a particular kind of demographic of people, none of us are above falling into this. Like this warning pertains to all of us. So point number one, contentment is better than wealth because we can't bring anything with us when we die. I don't think you, you actually need to be like extremely smart to figure that one out, right? Like, when you die, all of your stuff, your bank account, everything you own gets left to whomever you leave it to. Everything stays behind. But if you're a Christian, like there's, there's actually no point in accumulating all this stuff for you, all these things that money can buy, because you know you have a better future. Like you have, you have a reason that you can be content with just food and clothing, like Paul is telling Timothy here. You're going to be with God for an eternity. Like God has a better inheritance for you. 
a better inheritance than like all of the money in the world could possibly give you. And it's enjoyment doesn't end. Like you're going to spend infinitely more time in eternity with God than you will in this life. So storing up treasure in this life actually jeopardizes that life, right? So the other day, I was listening to a, a pastor who's, who's retired now. He's an older guy. He's been in ministry for a lifetime. And he says, he says that actually out of all of the people that he's visited in the hospital on their deathbeds in a lifetime of ministry, none of them ever told him, I wish that I worked more hours. I wish that I invested more heavily. I wish I made more money. You know what they said instead? They said things like, I wish I spent more time with family. I wish I spent more time talking about Jesus. I wish I spent more time pursuing God in this life. Things that money actually couldn't buy them. That's, that's the things that they were wishing they could have done. But okay, maybe you're saying to yourself, I get that I can't bring things with me when I die, but I kind of still, still want to have a sweet life. Like I still want to accumulate some wealth. I still want to be rich in this life. I want a good paying job. I want to retire when I'm young. Regardless of whether you kind of look at it that way, regardless of if you kind of still want that, but you get you can't bring it with you when you die, there's still a big warning here. There's still something actually dangerous that I want to warn you about. So point number two, contentment is better than wealth because it means less temptation. Right? Verse 9 says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Desiring to be rich causes more temptation. It's not that if you don't desire to be rich, you don't struggle with any temptation at all. But I think we can kind of piece together that it means you're not going to have all of these other temptations. Like temptations to these senseless and harmful desires that Paul says come along with the, the desire to be rich. Like desiring to be rich is going to consume your life at some point, if it hasn't already. You won't just stop at wanting to be rich. You'll actually go to extreme lengths to get what you want, to put people in positions that aren't okay, to, to actually leverage your power to get more. You want to buy all kinds of things and nothing's going to satisfy you. You'll be tempted with all of these extra things. And the other week, right, we talked about temptation and we learned that temptation is always just this, that sin is just right around the corner from temptation. And so we shouldn't actually want to put ourselves in a place where sin is just lurking around the corner, where we're, we're actually kind of making it possible for us to sin more. Because if we think about this, if we, if we work towards contentment, that actually would mean sinning less at some point. Because if, if, actually, working towards uh, if actually working towards contentment means less temptation, at least less temptation like this, that's going to turn out to be us sinning less. And that, that's actually better for us. That pleases God more. Like, like, wouldn't you actually like to see some more victory over your sin? Well, contentment is actually something that God is calling you to start working towards. So number three, contentment is better than wealth because it doesn't deceive you. Contentment is better than wealth because it doesn't deceive you. Look again 
at verse 9, right? It says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. And then it says, into a snare. What's a snare? A snare is a trap. Somebody say trap. Have you guys ever, like, trapped muskrat or, like, any sort of animal like that? All the time. Chris does it all the time. Okay. Well, okay. It turns out I actually don't trap muskrat. But I, I know how it works because I, I kind of like learned that this week. I just want to talk about muskrat. I'm not kidding. Um, so this is, this is how it goes, right? You get some like really starchy vegetables. You get some, some fruit. You get some strong smelling oils. And you put it in your trap or whatever for the muskrat. And then eventually, I'm assuming you get the muskrat in the trap, right? And so, like, after that happens, you have your muskrat in your trap. It's yours. That's not actually that much different than what the love of money is. It's a big trap. Like, like it actually has really strong-smelling aroma. It really promises something. Like, we actually can run towards that just because of how good it kind of looks. But money doesn't give you what it promises, does it? Money is a snare. Like it's even more appealing than vegetables to most of you, I bet. Yeah? I don't know. Some of you like to eat vegetables? I used to. I don't know. Okay. But guys, Salt Company, money is a terrible God. Like it will actually overpromise and underdeliver. It's going to trap you. You're going to be a slave to it. You're actually going to actually do everything to get more of it. All you're going to be doing is working to get more money. You'll never have enough. It's a deception. Contentment is better than wealth because it doesn't deceive you. Number four, contentment is better than wealth because it doesn't destroy you. Like, guys, this language Paul is using, verses 9 and 10, plunge into destruction, pierced with many pangs, Paul's trying to warn us. Paul says it's through the craving, it's through this craving, this love for money, that some have wandered away from the faith. They no longer walk with Jesus. That could happen to you if you actually love money. You could stop being someone who follows Jesus one day. The love of money puts you on course for destruction. You won't spend eternity with God who loves you and came to rescue you. If you desire to be rich, you're telling Jesus that actually your life and getting what you want is more important than Him getting the worship that He deserves forever. God will just give you up to those desires. Like He'll just, he'll just let you go down that road if that's what you want. And you might gain a lot of wealth in this life, you might not. I don't know if you know this, but a ton of people who actually are probably older than you guys lost a ton, a ton of money when coronavirus became a serious thing. Like their investments went down like millions of dollars. And that's not a new thing, right? Like that didn't just happen because of coronavirus. Paul actually later on in this chapter He's telling Timothy what to tell or what to charge people who actually are wealthy what to do. He's telling them, charge them not to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches. Riches are uncertain. Like wealth 
is completely uncertain. It can go up and down every day. So who knows if it would even pan out for you? Who knows if before you die, you would even get to see that dollar amount you want to see in your bank account. But if you love money, I can tell you with full certainty that it won't end well for you. It won't end well when you die and you have to face God. Like compared to walking in this, compared to living in this life, compared to walking with Jesus, chasing wealth, chasing money, it still falls short. Like, yeah, he calls you to die to yourself, but you know why he calls you to die to yourself? Because that self would actually fall in love with money and be destroyed. He actually wants you to be radically generous. He wants you to participate in the advancement of the gospel through your finances because that's better for you and it results in praise for him. All of that is far better. Like getting to be a part of Jesus, getting the worship he deserves is far better. Partnering with that work, partnering with God in that work is far better. It's lasting. So okay, in summary, right, the four points. First of all, contentment makes sense because we can't take anything with us when we die. And if we believe that we're going to live after we die and that life is better, that's what we can set our sights on. And contentment guards us from temptation. It doesn't, it, contentment doesn't actually lead us into a trap like the love of money does. It results in true life and it guards us from destruction. But guys, don't miss this here in, in this text. It's godliness plus contentment, right? It's godliness plus contentment that Paul says is greater gain than money itself. Greater gain than all the money in the world. And this isn't some sort of self-willed, like faithless contentment he's talking about. Paul's saying that godliness plus contentment produces something good. Like, the only way that someone can actually be content and the only way someone can actually be godly is through faith in Jesus Christ. Like through faith in Jesus Christ, you actually can be content because he secured your future. You can be content with what you have because he's promised you something better than money. Like you're promised through the gospel, God himself. And he's promised you to give you, he's promised to give you the inheritance of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the King of Kings, the eternally rich King of Kings. And the only reason that you could possibly be content is because of faith in what he has done. Through faith in him, you become a fellow heir with Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? Okay, how is, how is that possible? How is it possible that through faith in Him, you get contentment, you get godliness? Because Jesus Christ became poor so that through His poverty, you could become rich. He physically entered this sin-cursed world. He physically came and He took the cross upon his, on, on himself. And since he was the sinless sacrifice, 
since he died in your place, your debt is canceled. But it's not just that your debt is canceled. You actually get his godliness. His godliness is transferred to your account. Now, all of that means you can have a true contentment because he died and rose again. Your life doesn't end when you die because Jesus has beaten death. It's really only actually when you believe that he's done that does being content make sense. You can pursue godliness now. You can pursue contentment now because of what Jesus has secured for you. And that's a future with God. Your future with God is secure because of what Jesus has done. So my big idea for us is that with God, contentment is better than wealth. With God, contentment is better than wealth. Like We get to be with God because of what Jesus has done. We can be content because we actually know what He has done and that the work is finished. With God, contentment is better than wealth. Okay. What does this mean for us? Four applications from this text. The first one is repent. Repent tonight if you actually have found that you love money. If you've been craving to be rich and putting more love in money than you have for God. Turn tonight from that to God. His grace actually is available through faith for you. He's ready to forgive you. He's faithful and just to forgive you if you confess to Him. So repent of placing love in something that God has allowed for you to earn. God has allowed for you to use for His glory. Something that's a terrible God though. Repent of that. Repent of placing your love in the gift, not the giver. Maybe you've placed your love in money because you actually think right now it promises you security. But friend, I want to tell you that it's actually Jesus who is your security. It's Jesus who actually will provide for you. Like the Father loves to give good gifts to His children. But those gifts are not to be exchanged with those gifts are not to be exchanged with your love for God. If you're discontent with the material things you have, maybe you need to repent tonight of actually being ungrateful, unthankful to God for what He's provided for you. Again, turn back towards God. Throw yourself on His mercy. Second application. Look forward to eternity with God. Look forward to the day when you actually get to be in God's presence in fullness. When you get to be with Him. And, and weigh the danger of actually the love of money versus the great joy of getting to be in His presence. I think one of the things that we, we could do well to have a, a clear picture of is actually uh, the new creation and this eternity that we're going to spend with God. Right? We tend to think of heaven as some sort of just like disembodied state where we're going to be on some cloud floating around. And that's not what the new creation is. Like that's not how good eternity with God is going to be at all. Jesus is going to make the earth new. 
He's going to give us new bodies. There's not going to be any more sin in the world. But it's going to be great because He's going to be there. Money cannot get you there. But the love of money can certainly make it so that you don't end up there. Number three, give. Yeah, I said give. I know you're like college students. I know you're probably, most of you are broke. Maybe all of you, I don't know. I know you're college students. I didn't forget that. But guess what? Nowhere in the Bible does it say, if you're a college student, you don't have to participate in the mission of God through your finances, through what you earn. Like if you have a job and you earn money, you're not just somehow exempt from those commands to be actually a cheerful giver, to participate in the gospel through your finances. Nowhere does it say if you're under some certain age or you don't make X amount of money, you don't have to participate. It doesn't say until you like get debt free, you don't have to give. None of that. In fact, we want to be a place where we actually participate with God in His work. And so we want to see you, if you actually earn some money, participate with God in His work of making disciples of all nations. Participating in the mission of your local church. If Veritas is your church home, you can actually give online. Super easy. You can drop cash in the boxes in the auditorium. Online, you can partner with Salt Company to actually make disciples of more college students on your campus. To, to actually get some more ownership in this thing. Like this isn't just some event on Thursday night. We're a community of people learning how to walk with Jesus better. It's not about a dollar amount. This is a heart matter. There's a, there's a small story in the Gospels. We find it in Mark. We find it in Matthew. I'm going to read for us just quickly the one that we find in Mark 12, 41 through 44. It says, Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more money than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus sees that as actually more than some large sum of money. Like that's more pleasing to God than some rich person just putting in some large amount of money that doesn't actually mean that much to them. She gave all she had to live on. How radical is that? Like what does that say about who she thinks God is? So what might that look like for you? What, what might giving look like for you? I think, I think it needs to start with just praying. God, what would you have me give to participate in your mission, in your kingdom advancing? What would it look like for me to actually be a giver in my local church? Like if Veritas is your church home, I encourage you to do that. If you have another church home, I encourage you to do that. Let me actually just tell you how cool it's been to watch some of you participate and give towards the gospel advancing. Some of you have made it possible for friends to go to the fall retreat, friends to go to Salt Conference. Some of you have actually sent 
other connection group members overseas to share the gospel for two months in the summer. That is so challenging and encouraging to me to see you guys doing that, saying kind of with your money how great God is, even if it's just a little bit. It's not the amount that matters. You see it as an investment in someone's future. You see it as an investment in the kingdom of God that doesn't ever end. Fourth one, invite community into how you handle money. Because what you do matters. What you do with your money matters to God. So ask a friend in your connection group to actually be accountable to you and you to them. Share your finances with them at the end of every month. Show them what's been going on. Show them what you've been spending. Maybe tell them what actually is something that you spend too much money on, something you struggle with buying too often, or something that you're tempted to actually spend more money on than you should. Invite some accountability into your money. Like regardless of how you think you're doing with, with your money, be accountable to each other so you have extra guardrails so that you don't wander away from Jesus, so that you're not pierced with many pangs through loving money. You guys, there's something that we can do, right, to ensure that we don't end up in this danger. Invite community in. Avoid waiting to do that until you actually think you have a problem with money because it's probably likely that you won't go to a friend and say, hey, I need some accountability when you're like way down the road in love with money. You'd already be lured into that trap. You'd already be stuck there. What do you guys think it would look like if we lived as a community of people who were both godly and content? Like if we, if we saw money as a good gift from God that wasn't for ourselves, but actually something that was for advancing the kingdom of God and for blessing other people. I think it would actually look really strange to the rest of the world, to, to other students that you're around. Like I think, it, I think in uncertain times like this, if we lived as if money wasn't our security, but if Jesus was, if money wasn't actually our greatest love, but Jesus was, I think they would be really curious. Like I think they would want to come and see who is this Jesus. And you know what we would get to tell them? That Jesus is who he says he is. That he has given us a better inheritance. He's given us a lasting possession. Like Jesus really did die to give us everything that was his so that we could share in it with him for an eternity. And he really has secured that future so we can be content. We can be people who help other people even in time of need. They would see us as people living out the gospel. That the, the greatest news in all the world was transforming us from the inside out. And I think they would actually see a great opportunity. Like they would, they would be confronted with the gospel. They would actually see that it makes sense to respond to this Jesus, what he's done for them. And that's what I actually hope we do tonight too. That we respond, whether we need to repent of love for money, or we need to actually just throw ourselves back onto His mercy. 
all of us tonight get to, to worship Jesus who came and became poor for us so that through his poverty, we could become rich. So that through what he had done on the cross, we would become righteous. We would get his godliness. We would get to be with God forever. Let me pray for us. We're going to respond to God, what he has done for us. Not what we have done for him, but what he has done for us.